this story, and I think we can as well. And so, the first two lessons, though, remind us of our responsibility to the poor. Because remember, as a Baptist prophet said, we are all wrapped together in a single garment of destiny. And so, as we hear these words, we hold them in our heart. Welcome to the worship of God. The wise writer reminds us that wisdom encourages the people of God to be generous and just with persons who are poor. A reading from the book of Proverbs. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor have this in common, that the Lord is the maker of them all. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of anger will fail. Those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. Do not rob the poor because they are poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord pleads their cause, and the spoils of life those who despoil them. Here ends the first lesson. And now let's say our prayers. O oh God of new beginnings, we gather on this day to mark the beginning of a new school year and a new church year. For many of us, summer vacation is over, the school bells have rung, and the ebb and flow of the academic calendar now controls our lives. Whether we are a student with a new backpack, a teacher preparing new lesson plans, a parent scrambling to get children to school on time, or a person getting caught behind a school bus on the way to work, the new school year reminds us of the importance of an education. May the new school year inspire all of us, no matter how young or old we are, to continually be seekers of knowledge, to have minds that are open, and to be willing and eager to learn new things. So for good minds and the ability to learn, we give you thanks, O oh God. We also begin our new church year with Sunday school classes forming again and preparing for the holy purpose of helping each of us grow in our faith. May we learn, O oh God, to love you with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. May we open our minds to learn the great stories of our faith so that we may know who we are and whose we are. May we open our hearts to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. May we nurture our souls with spiritual practices that allow your spirit to live and breathe within us. And may we practice what we preach. May our outward behaviors be a living testimony to the God we profess. Growing in faith is hard, O oh God, but help us all as teachers and students to be committed to the task. May we be eager to learn, and may we be open and alert to your ongoing revelation to us in this place. 
Now help us to hear a new word from you, O God, as we join our voices once again to pray the prayer Christ taught his disciples long ago, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There is no higher calling than to love your neighbor as you love yourself. A reading from the letter of James. Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Here ends the second lesson. Now, children, if you can come forward at this time. If you have an offering, I'll ask Pastor James to collect that from you. Now, as you come up, why don't you go ahead and grab your backpacks. Let's grab your backpacks that you have up here. Doing minimal harm to your neighbor as you do so. All right. Looks like everybody's got their backpack. We have a special thing we'd like to give you this morning. This is the blessing of the backpacks, and actually... You know, uh, parents, could you come forward too? I meant to say that, sorry. Parents, come forward and sit up here with your children. We want to bless you too. We have these special tags that we're going to give you to put on your backpack. You all right, buddy? Cool. It says, blessed to be a blessing. And each one of these were individually colored by Will Matthews, our administrative assistant. 
who I promised lunch for doing that. I'm going to give these out to you. If you could just pass them around. Joseph, could you help me pass those around? Everybody gets one, okay? Blessed to be a blessing. And let's look at your backpacks. What kind of backpacks do we have this morning? Could you lift your backpack up or turn around and show people? Oh, cool. What, what have we got over there? What kind of backpack is that? Pokemon. Very cool design there, Maggie. I like yours a lot. Ooh, cool colors. Oh, Jake, you've got uh, Stormtroopers and Darth Vader. Very cool. Oh, the emperor, cool. Well, you know, it says blessed to be a blessing, and uh, in the Bible it says no weapon formed against me will prosper, so we'll see how those will go together. Um, <laughs> TIE fighters and Darth Vader, and I believe we have another Darth Vader backpack. Where's the other Darth Vader backpack? Oh, right there. Oh, cool. Very good. Nice. And you guys got some horses and animals, and I've got just a plain, boring black one up there, but, uh, but I use it. I want to bless my backpack, too. <laughs> We're going to say a blessing for you. It'll be open-eyed. You don't have to close your eyes. We can all look at each other. I'll need to have my eyes open so I can read anyway. And uh, we want to bless you going back to school, bless your backpacks, bless your parents, and bless this year. Let's do that together. Let's look to God for a blessing. So God, bless our children with wisdom, with courage, and with deep love. We pray for our children that you may be with them every step of the way for those hard days full of tears over hurtful words. May you bring comfort and healing for those joyful days full of laughter. May you multiply those days. And we pray for our parents for all those last-minute packing of lunches, those frantic dashes to the bus line, fighting with traffic to get there on time, and for homework. Please, God, we pray for homework, for help on homework. Bless our backpacks that they may be a blessing, that they and our children might be used to learn, to be filled with joy and love and supplies that help our children grow. May we be a blessing to our neighbor, and may our backpacks and our lives be used to love and to inspire, never to harm or separate in the name of Jesus, the Christ, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. You are blessed, my children. Go forth.
Jesus heals a woman's daughter and may have learned something in the process. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark. From there he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he was there. Yet he could not escape notice, and a woman whose little girl had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter, and he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So the woman went home, found the child lying on the bed, and indeed, the demon was gone. The Gospel of the Lord. Could you believe the number of children and parents we had sitting up here? Um, that, and there are several families missing, but my goodness, what a gift they are. Uh, give me a moment. Louise Davis, we are grateful for your prayers. As you look down from heaven now, see the benefit of those prayers which you think created these kids. Maybe it was these prayers and a lot more for those good memories we give thanks. Well, um, a few years ago, my mind was changed because of a sermon. This was about 27 years ago when I heard a sermon preached by Reverend Nancy Sehested, a friend of Liz's and Karen's and others of you. She was the pastor of Prescott Memorial in Memphis, Tennessee, where Kenneth Dean was the pastor years ago as well. She preached on this text that Karen read a moment ago, and she said about this text, Jesus learned something, he needed to learn something, and, his wo and uh, the teacher was a woman. And ever since she preached that sermon, my thinking has been different. Now, I don't know about the breadth of your Christology, about how well you handle what I just said, but I do believe the breadth of Northside Dry Baptist theology can handle that. On this back-to-school day, when we think and affirm Christian education, we use this text to do so. I want to hold it up before you. As we think about coming in and sitting in these pews, imagining them to be the desks we sat in when we first went to school, where we wore those pressed blue jeans and had that sharpened wooden yellow pencil along with our Roy Rogers and Dale Evan uh, uh, lunchbox. Now, of course, I went to school in the 50s. <clears throat> I started then. And know that not all people uh, have that. Probably now it's iPads and Apple Watches. But imagine going to school and that sitting in the desk next to us is Jesus. For I believe this text is a story in Christian learning 
And we learn by watching Jesus learn. Here's the story. Jesus is traveling uh, out from Galilee. If that's Galilee and then the Jordan River and then here's Jerusalem here, he's northwest of Galilee. He's crossed a boundary, as Jesus was wont to do. He's crossed the boundary into the northwest territory, Syrophoenician area of Tyre and Sidon. It's a place where there are more Gentiles than there are Jews, and he's found a place, a house that's available. It says he goes into the house and says, now don't tell any, anybody I'm here. Maybe needing to pause for rest and quiet, and yet, sort of like Sunday afternoon with a minister's telephone, and yet there's a knock on the door, a woman comes through, and he is interrupted at that house. This is in the Gospel of Mark, one of those sacred, um, sacred interventions where God shows up unexpectedly in between other things. It's sort of like that quotation on the front of your order of service by Scott Peck. Our finest moments are most likely to occur when we are feeling deeply uncomfortable unhappy, or unfulfilled. Hmm. For it is only in such moments, propelled by our discomfort, that we are likely to step out of our ruts and start searching for different ways or truer answers. Hmm. The interruptions that bring about in the storytelling of Mark always are happening to Jesus. And the interrupter at this, in this story is a woman. She is anonymous. We never learn her name. But she barges in on Jesus because of desperation, empowered by desperation. Desperation fuels the engine of courage. Desperation holds firm the steering wheel of focus. She's a woman on a mission. And she bows and begs Jesus to heal, to cast the demon out of her little daughter who is ill at home. Then Jesus replies to this, and he says, ah, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right for the children's food to be thrown to the dogs. The Gospel of the Lord. <laughs> Really? You think Jesus said that? Does that sound like Jesus? It just, it just has an odd ring to it. Let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Now, in the momentum of this text narration, it's been kind of ta-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's been rather pedestrian. Until Jesus says this at first blush, derogatory word. Take this and throw it to the dogs? Is that fair? What has Jesus just done? When Jesus delivers this line, the momentum of the text stops. It comes to a full start, a full stop. I think in, if this was a musical score, that the, the name of the marking for this would be Sejura. Is that pronounced? correctly, says Jura. Now, for, for you technical people, I'm, I'm glad I got that right. For the rest of us amateurs, it's called railroad tracks. 
You know, those markings in the score where you're singing along, but you come to that railroad track and it, everything stops. The most famous one is in the hallelujah chorus, right? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And you just get caught up in singing and all of a sudden you're going hallelujah. And you look around and everybody else has stopped. And you keep going because you've run past the railroad tracks. Well, that's what's happened here. We come to these words that Jesus says, and it just grinds to a halt. He says the unexpected. Is Jesus calling this woman a dog? Or is Jesus calling all non-Jewish persons dogs? As may have been one of the way of some in that day. There are several theories about this. Why would Jesus say such a, a harsh thing? Well, the most popular theory, the one I grew up with, is that Jesus is trying to teach her by challenging her. Now, that will work for many. It's kind of like Jesus was a good supervisor. You know how supervisors work. They're about 10% comfort and 90% challenge so that Jesus may have been saying something so that she would exercise her faith muscles and push back and grow in the process. How noble of Jesus. Maybe so. A second theory is, well, Jesus was quoting a common proverb. You know, don't give the, don't give the, the food meant for the children to the dogs. That Jesus was saying, you know, charity begins at home. Uh, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. As Jesus was quoting a common proverb, so don't hold it against him. A third reason, some say, well, Jesus was on a mission as Messiah to the Jewish people, and what he was saying is that he did not want to be deterred from that focus and that mission. Um, it's to the Jewish people, for the, the children of Israel first, and then the dogs get it later. Hmm. Another reason might be that Mark and then later Matthew, when Matthew told a similar story, that they're putting words in Jesus' mouth to address by sermon the issues in their church. That Jesus may have said this on another occasion in context, but they have moved it, put it in the story, so that they as preachers could address the problems in the congregation. Or one other theory, and this is the one that I believe. I think that maybe Jesus was at least tired, and though perhaps focused, even a faithful focus can atrophy into myopic vision. With the weariness of the day, Jesus was not paying attention, perhaps, and that's why he said it is not right to give to the children's food to be thrown to the dogs and just leaves it like that. I'm imagining he wasn't even looking at her as he was saying these words. But the woman will not leave it at that. She will not walk away and let Jesus have that last word. She is a woman possessed by chutzpah. You know that word? That if you work at the Jewish Bremen home, you know that word. It's a Yiddish word. It means, it means bold audacity. 
that she's got chutzpah. She's not going to let this word push her away. And she responds to Jesus and says, well, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Did she just sass the Savior? Is that what she did? I think this is another cesura, I mean, full stop. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Wow. I bet then she gets Jesus' full attention. If he hasn't been paying attention, he has right then. Now, I've seen several Renaissance paintings of this moment, of Jesus and the exchange with the woman who's concerned about her daughter. And it, it, he, he's turned and uh, rather with a stoic look, is ge- gesturing with a hand, is pointing like this, looking near the woman. I think all of that's probably wrong. It's way too tame for this. I don't know what the Italian Renaissance painting word for flabbergasted is, but that had to be the look on Jesus' face. And he's looking away. She says, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And all of a sudden, Jesus turns, looks at her, looks directly. I'm imagining his jaw drops. His eyes pop. His head shakes. And he can't believe what he has heard. His face opens. And then he begins speaking differently than he did before. His face opens, and he speaks differently than he did before. Now, we didn't read the story that's right after this one, but it's about Jesus healing a guy who is deaf and who can't speak well. Jesus puts his fingers in the guy's ears, touches the guy's tongue with Jesus' finger, and suddenly the guy's ears are opened and he can hear and his mouth is loosed, and he can speak differently. How about that? In a way, that story is foreshadowed because the same thing happened to Jesus. His ears were open. His speech was changed because he then says, for saying that, you may go And the demon has left your daughter. And sure enough, the text brings it to a close quickly. And that's exactly what happens. The daughter is healed. What a text to plow through. I should have let the associate pastor preach this one today. (laughs) Though some may think this interpretation is heretical, I think it is not. I think Jesus really did learn something that day, like Nancy uh, Sehested said. And I think he needed to. Maybe God was up to something larger than even Jesus knew at the time. So if that's true about Jesus, what are we going to do about it? Well, I think if it's true about Jesus that he needed to learn something, maybe it's true that we as the church need to learn something. The Church, Inc., the Church Incorporated. For instance, hasn't the pages of the newspaper been covered over the last week and weeks that it appears that the Roman Catholic Church has something to learn? Who would have thought that the accusations of sexual abuse and then cover-up involving all levels of hierarchy would come with such volume? And the tectonic plates shake 
the church all the way from Pennsylvania to the pontiff. All right. I'm going to talk about evangelicals in a minute, too. (laughs) We all need to look into it. But I'll preach. Uh, Due to the neglect of some, there are others who are suffering. Those who have been charged to guard the faith and the faithful have failed to keep safe the most vulnerable. The Roman church needs to learn, and the evangelical church needs to learn too. Though the word evangelical is a shape-shifting word and changing in definition, we all need to get our house in order, right? Each year's headlines tell of megachurch leaders that are stars but turn into falling stars. And when they fall, they fall off their pedestals and fall on the church. But the churches are culpable as well, right? Using good systems theory. Who do you think built the pedestals to put the preachers on? The American church has fallen on tough times. And I think some of it is God's doing. It was said in church school just two weeks ago this summer that especially during the last 100 years and a little before that, the American church has adopted the corporate model of success and endorsed power politics and power and politics and culture. The aha is that the inflation of the facade has come back to haunt us. It could last for a century or so, but eventually it'll collapse on us and the church might get back to its true agenda of being the body of Christ and following Jesus. But like the story here where Jesus makes a discovery, makes an aha, our aha will come at the most unlikely times and with the most unlikely teachers. So here's the second thing. If the first thing is the church, be it Roman, be it evangelical, be it Northside Drive Baptist, the church needs to learn and we in the church need to learn. And how do we learn? Well, kind of like Jesus did, like Father Richard Rohr, a Benedictine monk that several of us read. He said, I have prayed for years for one good humiliation a day. And, he says, and then I must watch my reaction to it. I have no other way, he says, of spotting both my denied shadow self and my idealized persona. God God must think that I'm praying the same prayer because it happens to me too. Usually I see my shadow in the spotlight of my stumbling. And always, always it's in relationship. You know my story. Pieces of it are when it comes to race and race relations. I grew up in the buckle of the Deep South, buckle of the Bible Belt, and it was a prejudiced world. Maybe all human worlds are. But it was at my grandmother's deathbed as she lay dying on Christmas Eve that her longest friend, her longest living friend 
Addie, a black woman, came and stood at the edge of her bed and wept. And something about her tears began to melt my prejudiced heart. You've heard me tell times of when I was distanced from other faiths, like Islam. But when I sat down with Imam Pleman el in a cafe near the uh, Masjid of Al-Islam in Eastlake, I sat with him in a cafe and I said, tell me your story. And my heart was warmed. Or of a Jewish grandmother in Baylor Hospital in Dallas when I was just a little Baptist boy in seminary and she blessed me. And with gay persons and LGBTQ persons that through faithful relationship and listening, my theology was broadened and my heart brought me to say the truth that was already in my head, that we are all made in the image of God. We are all made in the image of God. As uh, John Claypool used to close every service, you are being redeemed. My redemption is coming slowly, as is my conversion, but by grace it's coming. It's happened to our church, too, to continue to be converted. Seventeen years ago, in this sanctuary, we were celebrating our 50th anniversary next week. 50th anniversary back then. We had invited a dozen Muslims to attend the 50th anniversary with us. They were coming to the church service and the anniversary meal. What we didn't know was that on 9-11-2001, The world was going to change. And then we had already invited them. Ten days later was the party. Several of us went into the room more afraid than we should be, but we did not let our fear halt our faithfulness. Right? Now we can say, yeah, preach it on that too, because you are the preachers. And we did that. When you look at these things, they come together. Everything that rises must converge. Or when we studied the scriptures, we studied the scriptures and the texts three years ago, the law and the traditions. And when it comes to human sexuality, it is my observation that if anyone's mind was changed in that journey, and that would be hard to do, we very seldomly change our minds. But if anybody's mind was changed, it was done so secondarily by religion, but primarily by relationship. At its core, religion requires relationship, and relationship defines religion. Just as it was for Jesus in conversation with this courageous woman, I think his heart was opened even farther as he saw what God was up to in this wide, wide world. Of all things, Jesus learned something. And thanks be to God, and with the help of God, we do too. We continue to do so. Amen. Amen.
is our tradition. Our tradition is when a word is offered, an invitation to discipleship and commitment is given. I know not what needs or issues that each of us brought into this place, but I trust in the translating power of the Holy Spirit, who brings and beckons us all to grow, for our hearts to open, and to receive God's blessing. The hymn of dedication is about about all things that are bright, that are beautiful, and that are gifted by God, including you. Let's stand together and sing.
How's that sound?
this place of learning, where we bring our open hearts and our open minds and are ready to serve you with open hands. Receive these gifts that we have given, tithes and offerings that go to the work of your realm in our world. May we be speakers of truth, and even as we embrace your sorrow, may we also embrace your hope and joy. And we pray this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.
And as you prepare to go this week, remember, may the strength of Christ uplift you, may the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and may the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.